0: Hi, this is Alistair Stewart. This is Brock Wilber. And you're listening to Caring into the Void. The podcast where we get together, tell each other about a weird or dark story we've heard, and then try and find the silver lining or flip it into something that well, maybe not positive,
1: will at least be productive. Hey Brock, how you doing? This week we're not listening to Caring into the Void. Caring in the Void is listening to you. Welcome to our mailbag episode. Um <laughs> <laughs> Actually, don't hate that. Maybe we'll do that one coming up soon. We should do one. We should absolutely do one. We are overdue for that, and we have had some of our best stories turned in via Twitter at my listeners. One of my favorite things about getting this show embedded over the last four years is that like, there are certain stories that just everyone will tag me in, and I'm like, yes, yes, I did did see that thing today about the thing in space that seems like the other thing that seems like the horror movie. Yes, I, I too... I'm experiencing existential dread about it and do desire to write a poem that makes people feel better about it. Uh, <laughs> sir, I, I guess I have to ask, how can something be everything, yet everywhere, yet all at once? What, what is that? Solve this problem for me.
0: I choose partially because of the movie, to apply the kind of multiversal frame over this. Also, I I saw Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness yesterday, in which Elizabeth Olsen and Benedict Wong are very good, and Benedict Cumberbatch is frequently in scenes. <laughs> I'm busting on him, and I shouldn't do that, because him and his fucking high-cheeked elven prince brethren will come and get me and execute me in Westminster Cathedral or something. But the kind of everything-everywhere-all-at-once thing... I actually really like the 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 definition of it that's in Multiverse of Madness, and, Manus, and that, as I understand it, everything, everywhere, all at once, also plays. Oh, I but... thought
1: you were doing the the double feature of them. That's why I brought it up. Now I I, I regret oh. now introing a thing that you didn't do. I thought you, based on last episode, you said you were gonna back to back the. It's <laughs> fine. It's fine. Um... I actually
0: really like the idea of, of kind of echoes of personal choice and echoes of personal agency and how they react really differently. And with Multiverse of Madness, I, I mean, it's an interesting movie. I had a blast. I mean, it's a Sam Raimi film. And it's a Sam Raimi <laughs> film where they've given him coffee again. So, you know, th- there's moments where he's like, Kate made of Dead Souls? Yeah, sure. Do we want to do like a close-up inside someone? Great. All right.
1: Do we want to throw Benedict Wong off lots of things? fucking do it i'm 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 phrasing it in the non-spoilery way but the fact that the third act of the film just takes uh mr cumberbatch and places him in the least uh positive possible physical situation imaginable uh, is one of those that you're like you know what good on sam Raimi for just taking like a a a, a sort of hollywood heartthrob and being like Let's fuck all that up. It feels very Vanilla Sky, Tom Cruise, where you're like, what if he just like had a horrible like, oh God, yeah. like facial crash thing for most of the movie and lived like the Phantom of the Opera? It was like, yeah, 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 take, take more A-list uh, sex actors and, uh, and, and, and really take their sexy from 10 down to a 2, put them in a bag for uh, a mask, uh, really go Friday the 13th on this shit. <laughs> J- just, you know, marinate them in
0: stuff. Right. What? I don't know, <laughs> stuff. But no, I, I I actually really like how much of Multiverse of Madness is really about the individual choices matter. And the concept of personal agency versus, oh, it's okay, there's a version of me out there that's got this right, is actually like a massive science fictional concept. And it's really nice to see Marvel wrestle with something which is a little bit existential like that. And I, I really love how different characters find different things in that. How there's hope and there's also just terrible shit. And I think the thing I enjoyed the most about it was um, the moment where, about two minutes in, Elizabeth Olsen basically goes, mine, and does not release the film until the end credits. Because, I mean, she and, and Johansson... Are the two people who have been served the least well by the last decade of Marvel movies? I mean, let's let's face, it, Olsen's job in basically every film before one
1: before WandaVision series one was show up, look sad. It, it, and this was also a, a, a really interesting chance to see we're 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 doing writer stuff right now, which is why I feel good about this instead of doing Marvel stuff, which no one should ever care about. <laughs> It's it's an incredible thing to see sort of the first real big payoff of, like, the Marvel TV series spinning back into the movies because, like, without it, nothing about her character makes any sense whatsoever. Like, if I had not seen WandaVision, I would be like, that's the dumbest thing I've ever seen, uh, which mm-hmm. is in some ways my thoughts on the movie anyway. But, like, <laughs> it, is, it is genuinely incredible to have spent, like, so many hours with this character in just... Just her time in preparation for this thing, and to to really have that going in for a character like, I I don't think there's anything I care about less in the world than Hawkeye. Uh, and then the (laughs) Hawkeye TV show was one of my favorite things last year. And I was just like, Who would have guessed that if you spend a lot of time with a character and develop them, that people will enjoy it? Like, I'm just it it still blindsides me in some ways. I'm like, Yeah, that Hawkeye really enjoyed that, and I'll hear it come out of my mouth and be like, What's what was that? Why why did I what? say that thing? Which, <laughs> or, yeah, uh, which my, my my wife finds very funny that they did such a good job at, at working in his uh, hearing loss uh, in that show. Because uh, at her job, she constantly covers when celebrities say and do stupid things. And so multiple times over the years in Junkets, he'd been asked about Hawkeye and the hearing loss thing and had said some really ableist crappy stuff uh and so we were watching that and i was like this is like such good representation and she's like yeah but like he's gonna get credit for it and the man should not get credit for that thing and i was like once again the we just need to return to a time in life when everyone had the jeremy renner app (laughs)
0: now you mention that all i all i can see is a call coming in and 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 your your wife going is the Renner desk covered now they're on lunch get someone on it now now bring me pictures of opposite spider-man how bad's his hair it's pretty bad is the new music video out yet i mean technically it's a music for just get me stills get me stills that's my new shout do you have a story for us today uh yes i do and it is in fact quite the doozy I would like to talk to you about Death Rays. Death Rays. Okay. Death Rays. Specifically, a man called Harry Grindel Matthews. Harry was an inventor and his own worst enemy. Uh, In 1911, he said he'd invented a radio telephone that would allow communication between planes and the ground. And at the time, that was a huge deal. So the British government, who were obviously always interested in ways to oppress other countries with even more efficiency, discuss the weather and preferably learn the the cricket scores, get super interested in this. And they ask Harry for a demonstration. And because this (laughs) is the olden times, the demonstration, for some reason, happens at Buckingham Palace. Seriously. It doesn't go well. Basically, observers dismantled the device and took notes before Harry showed up. And pretty justifiably, he lost it. He drove these people away. He refused to continue. And crucially, he went public. The papers took his side. The government claimed it was all a misunderstanding. And Harry began his ascendance to the role of what I like to call British Jumble Sale Tesla. Um <laughs> this this all kind of trundles along until 1914 and he's 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 kind of he's in the news a bit and he's regarded as one of those kind of brilliant can-do british eccentrics and all this kind of stuff and then in 1914 the government announced an award of 25,000 pounds to anyone who could create a weapon against zeppelins or remote controlled unmanned vehicles
1: sorry we've been trying to do drone warfare against drones since this long ago
0: Yes, Drone Warfare is essentially a 100-year-old theater of operations. Harry claimed that he'd perfected a remote control system, and he successfully demonstrated this. He actually did this twice, once for, I'm assuming his mum, and once for (laughs) um, the senior officers of the Navy at Richmond Park's Penn Pond. Harry got his £25,000. The invention was never used.
1: This this is what's going to happen when you get your novel, like, option for a TV show. Like, right yes, they paid me, but then they shelved it. Like, I, I that is the entire history of my decade in Hollywood. It's just like, yeah, yeah, I got some money for that thing, but uh, it will never see the light of day. So I, I already identify with this man. Tell me more about him.
0: <laughs> we skip ahead now to 1921, when Harry claimed to have, and I swear this is true, invented the talking motion picture. Okay. Uh, and he claimed to do this um, having recorded an interview with polar explorer Ernest Shackleton before his final expedition. By the way, Shackleton, if you don't know him, is a really interesting guy in that he was one of the very few British polar explorers who was quite interested in not being dead and also in bringing as many people back who went with him as possible. So much so, in fact, that was his last, last expedition was, by all accounts, to use the language of the time, a fucktastrophe. No human crew members actually died. He got everyone home. So Harry records this interview with Shackleton, and it's not a hit. And unfortunately, it's one of those situations where talkies are just starting to come through. So about seven Uh, people, uh, seven people are inventing them all at the same time. Multiple other processes have been developed before his. But interestingly, and this actually ties, almost ties into the Dawson City documentary I was talking about last time. Right. Harry actually developed the first process that recorded sound on film instead of here's the film, here's the sound. Give them both to Darren and tell him to hit play on both at the same time and it should be fine.
1: Oh, interesting. So he was the only one that had a synced file sort of thing.
0: Yeah, exactly. So, you know, this didn't work, but then he, he persevered. And uh, this brings us to the death race. In 1923, Harry claimed he had invented an electric ray. That would put magnetos out of action this does not mean he developed what bolivar trask could not but rather that he built a device that could kill the electrical motors in engines from range not just that it could kill aeroplanes engines it could detonate gunpowder it could turn off ships motors and it could incapacitate infantry from the distance of four miles newspapers and again this is a technical term from the time lost their shit. <laughs> they were really, really up for this. This is how he gets the, de- the nickname Death Ray Matthews. So, think about the time. This is 1923. One world war is over. The second is, unfortunately, rapidly approaching. An existentially terrified establishment that believes in the power of sensible white men who can do anything embraces this man like it is drowning, and he is a wardrobe from the Titanic. Possibly also holding Kate Winslet. So, this is where things get shady again. The War Office contacts Harry in February 1924 and basically sends him a letter reading, Dear Mr. Matthews, we understand you have developed a death ray. Please demonstrate it for us. He refuses. But he does agree to demonstrate it to a journalist. But he also refuses to explain how it worked. And this is where things get really interesting. Because when asked why, he said, yeah, I got an offer from France. Because the UK government refused to pay him his price. So Harry demonstrates (laughs) the the, the death ray for this journalist. He shuts off a motor. He turns a white bulb on. And nothing works. No one's really interested. It's just, it's kind of there. But in May in 1924, the High Court, and this circles back to something which my, my conspiracy theory brain notices when I look at this story, the High Court granted an injunction that allowed Harry's investors to stop him selling it off. So the government isn't interested, but they also don't want anyone else to have it.
1: This is flawless. Like, yes, this is, oh my God. Wonderful, wonderful, wonderful.
0: (laughs) Even better. The officer sent to negotiate a new deal for the death rate called Major Winteris, no less, shows up at Harry's apartment and finds he's already left. So he terrasses across the country to the nearest airport and finds Harry has already flown to Paris, with the government literally frantically pursuing him, sending him telegrams and stuff, trying to talk him down. And and they, they fail. Death Ray Matthews goes across the channel, sulks in France a little bit, and the consequences of his actions are a whole slew, because all of this is public, a whole slew of let's call them scientists go, Oh, do you want a death ray? I've got one. Son, that's a bulb in a box. Yeah, makes pew pew noises though. Give us money. So
1: sorry, people knew that there was a rogue scientist with a death ray yes. on the run across Europe and no one knew positive or negative that whether or not this was an actual functional death ray. So people just sort of like knew there was an actual super villain that the government couldn't track down. Yes. Oh my god, this is my favorite story of all time.
0: (laughs) Isn't this great? Okay, so, 28th of May, 1924, Commander Kenworthy, who I choose to believe has the first name Commander, asks in the House (laughs) of Commons what the government (laughs) intends to do to stop Harry from selling the raid to a foreign power. So someone does exactly what you've just suggested, which is, he's Lex Luthor. Why don't we have him on staff? What the hell? (laughs) The Undersecretary for Air answered in a manner which would echo down generations of idiot politicians in this country that Matthews was not willing to let them investigate the ray to their satisfaction. Therefore, they weren't interested. Another government representative also stated that one ministry official had stood before the ray and survived. Now, I choose to believe this guy was just the lowest of the low. This was going to. Who's the third assistant? David, great. Dave, yeah, stand over there. Why? Shoot it. <laughs> cool, he's not atomized. The idiot doesn't get the money. Let's move on.
1: What you are recounting here is the falling upward of of Elizabeth Holmes over... Yes! <laughs> that is the Rados. Like, yeah, just, like, you can't look in the box, but, like, if you would like to maybe someday look in the box, you should give me more money. And everyone just claps and taps the sign and, and signs more checks, and they're like, yes, 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 you are the smartest person we have ever met. Right. <laughs> and then and, there's just uh, nothing in the box. This is incredible. A 1924 Elizabeth Holmes. Oh, my right? God. Oh, this right? fucking story. Oh, my God. <laughs> Okay, so
0: finally, the government demand that Harry use the ray to stop a petrol motorcycle in a test they would define. The prize would be £1,000. Still in France, Harry basically sends a message that that boils down to, Fuck off. (laughs) And eight other countries want my death ray.
1: (laughs) There's a bidding war for my nothing. Oh my god. Wait I, it, I, I, for this show. I just I, the 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 caring moment aside on this one. Like just everyone, believe in yourself as much as Death Ray Matthews. Right. <laughs> just have right? this sort of confidence, and you'll 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 sail through life. I I I'm in in near sexual awe of <laughs> the amount that this man believed in himself to to start an eight country bidding war over a a death ray that didn't exist oh my god oh this is sending me into such an existential spiral keep going i love this i like this this is a good and it place
0: <laughs> worked it worked he was offered a colossal salary to return to england and finally did he made a film to promote his ideas featuring a device that bore no resemblance to the actual one and as people started to go I- i'm sorry what he went yeah i'm off to america they've bought it bye Yet again, he turned down big money to demonstrate it. And by this time, people were getting pretty sick of it. Uh, doubly so when he actually returned a few months later and said America has actually purchased the death ray. And shortly they'd be, de- they'd be <laughs> deploying it. At which point um, the
1: American government went, who?
0: <laughs> to be fair, that is
1: also what we would say had we have actually done it. So,
0: <laughs> Right? And I mean, the other thing this really puts me in mind of is, is what happened with Hedy Lamar, who right. basically invented Wi-Fi. <laughs> and patented it before World War II, and the U.S. Navy went, yeah, that doesn't work. Literally waited for her and her partner to leave the office and went, hey, what, do this. <laughs> now, Harry's time as, as a death ray inventor kind of peters out. That being said, he did do more work. He invented a means of projecting images onto the sky. No one cared. He moved to
1: Wales. Yeah, people probably cared. Sorry, let's pause for one second. He invented the bat signal? Basically, yeah. Cool. And no one no one cared, because only one person in the world wants the bat signal, and that's the Batman. Right?
0: Right, okay. So, he builds a fortified lab with its own airfield, and if that is not some straight-up supervillain flex, I do not know what is. He went bankrupt, and he was ultimately saved from it by uh, an extremely right-wing member of the nobility, who had him work on means of detecting submarines for the French Navy. And at this point, he quietly disappears until he dies in 1941 i have no idea if his work succeeded i think he's probably full of shit uh i think especially given as you pointed out Theronos, uh the, the, the elizabeth holmes theranos situation and we're a couple of episodes into we crashed as as I talk to you, which is, I it's mean, a,
1: it's a good time for scammers that have a, a a very specific accent that does not exist in space wartime. time. Exactly. <laughs> do, the <voice. laughs> do the thing. Do the thing with
0: the voice. Um, I do know that some of what he worked on actually sounds a little bit like Havana Syndrome.
1: That was exactly what I was going to say. But like, <laughs> so he, he, everything about what you've brought up in his list of like dabbled ins. Like, if he was successful at it, we wouldn't know. Exactly. It's the extension of the Americans being like, we don't know what he's talking about with the death ray as we slowly inch the death ray back behind us with the heel <laughs> of our shoe uh, into a closet. Like, yeah, you, you, I don't know. How many submarines did he detect? Like, a there's we have no metric for it. So sure, maybe he really pulled that one off. So, yeah. It's, it's a really weird one. Some of it maybe <laughs> ties in with Havana Syndrome.
0: Some of it plugs absolutely into the evolution of the perception of, of espionage culture and conspiracy theory across the late end 20th century. The one thing I do know is this. Harry's success actually pales in comparison to the shadow that his story casts. It's mm. like it's an engine that runs forever. It's like it's a light bulb that could never be turned off. And I'm amazed... That no one has picked this up yet. I mean, this is an eight-episode Netflix show waiting to happen.
1: Yeah, this is the ne- the logical evolution of this is to go do the prestige version of, of We Crashed.
0: Right? And I mean, as near as I can tell, he's not even been in Doctor Who yet. <laughs> what the hell?
1: <laughs> oh, my God. So, yeah,
0: that's Death Ray Matthews.
1: Uh, do you have a carrying into the void to go with this one?
0: I do. Your biggest ideas are the ones that make the most noise. They're what we run towards because the song they sing is the one every creator feels in their bones. People will take you seriously. You will take you seriously. This will change the world. This will save the world. You will show them all. Nothing has changed alone. Saving the world is a team sport, and destruction, only in controlled circumstances leads to growth. Sometimes we work so hard and fight so long and yell so loud. That's all we know how to do. And that means we miss when we win. We miss when we achieve. We miss when we actually make something. We all win. We all achieve. We all make things. Don't build your death ray. It won't work. Build something better. Build something that does work. Show them where to go, not what they've done. Show them who you are, not who they think they've
1: made you. It's maybe our best anti-capitalism, uh, carrying into the void yet. Uh, <laughs> Thank you. Also, I'm really glad that, like, a, all all that I'm left with is is I now have a mantra for the rest of my weekend. That's, go build a life, Ray. <laughs> right. I really want really want to turn this guy on his head. Uh, oh my god, that was wonderful. Thank you so much. Thank you. Um, what, what, what do you have this week, Brooke? So I'm going to send you a photo here, and you just tell me what you think you're looking at here. Okay. Oh. Oh. Uh-huh. That Leatherface? Leatherface was my first thought when I saw it. Uh, what 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 he's looking at now is a panel of three people in a black-and-white photo, uh, clearly from the past. Uh, there's a stern-looking woman. There's a balding man. And then there is someone in a hilarious, cheap tuxedo wearing uh, what looks like a leather face mask, reading from a document at what is clearly a press conference. Um, right, that, that's leather face, right? Clearly? That's, that's what we I, I would have thought, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I saw this image and I, I thought, like, that must be a hilarious thing. And then I read the story behind it and it is upsettingly touching uh and so uh you'd talked about harry matthews uh i'm here to talk about henry anonymous uh so exactly 50 years ago in dallas the american psychiatric association got together again 1972 they were in the danish room at the adolphus hotel uh and a guy had been smuggled through the back corridors uh of this conference like there was uh, hundreds of people in the audience head shrinkers from all over the country and mm-hmm. uh and at the last second, uh, as this panel started, they pulled this man out, and he had on a rubber Nixon mask, which right away, yes, it, it turns out Nixon and Leatherface look exactly the same. <laughs> Jack's uh, total lack he, of surprise. <laughs> and he had a, This garish oversized tuxedo and a curly fright wig. Uh, and so he just looked like they brought this Halloween character out onto stage. Uh, And then he started talking and what he said was, um, I am a homosexual and I am a psychiatrist. And for the next 10 minutes, Henry Anonymous, MD, uh, this is what he'd asked to be called, described the secret world of gay psychiatrists. Officially, they didn't exist. Homosexuality was categorized as a mental illness. So acknowledging it would result in the revocation of one's medical license and the loss of a career in 42 states sodomy was a crime. The reality was that there were plenty of gay people in the APA's psychiatry's most influential body. The mass doctor explained that that was the case to everyone, but they all lived in hiding, uh, concealing every trace of their private life from their colleagues. Quote, all of us have something to lose, he said. We may not be under consideration for a professorship the analyst down the street may stop referring us his overflow. Our supervisor may ask us to take a leave of absence. And that was the trade-off that had formed the basis of this masked man's life. Uh, and the cost was too high. And that that's what he came to tell everyone here. We are taking an even bigger risk, however, in not fully living our humanity. This is the greatest loss, our honest humanity. So he gives a 10-minute speech that was delivered 50 years ago today. Uh, And it was a tipping point in the history of gay rights, because the following year, at their conference, the APA announced that it would reverse its centuries-old position, declaring that homosexuality was no longer a mental disorder. And the psychiatrists, like, they do not transform the culture that surrounds them. They do not touch their things. They are very sad in that. But this 10-minute talk from a person dressed in a Nixon mask—again, fucking (laughs) Nixon— Who looks like <laughs> Leatherface in a hilarious tuxedo talked for ten minutes and transformed uh, the entirety of psychiatry. Uh, but like by extension, the trickle down effect was that by removing homosexuality from the DSM for the next round. Uh, Removed the legal basis for all of the discriminatory practices that were set in law, like denying gay people the right to employment, citizenship, housing, custody of children, excluding them from the clergy and military, and the institution of marriage. It didn't immediately like take effect overnight, but this set the stage to allow all of that to happen in sort of a long rolling thing. So again, a ten-minute talk from a Dr. Henry Anonymous (laughs) changed everything. And again, I, we, when we post this episode, I will share this photo that just looks like Leatherface is doing, trying to do some PR spin on something. And you're like, well, best of luck to that man. I'm not sure he can put it back together. But like, <laughs> what an incredible story uh, to yes. come from a place that it feels very caring into the void to be like, hey, what if you change the world? By dressing up like Freddy Krueger and then asking everyone for world peace, and then it actually fucking happened. <laughs> You're like, okay, exactly. Well, there we go. That that that's possible.
0: That's incredible. <laughs> and how inconceivably fucking brave that is to do. My God. Right. <laughs> also, like you, I'm going to be tickled forever by the fact that it was a Nixon mask. That to me feels like the type of fuck you only a mental health professional can deliver.
1: Tr- truly. And it's not even put on very well. Like, when you guys see it, it's it's very slack on the face. Like, yeah, no, it's uh, good, good on you, Tricky Dick. <laughs> Damn right. So do you have a uh, carrying into the void for us? It's your voice that they're afraid of. They don't know they're scared of it yet, because they don't know what it can do, but they should be quaking in their boots. Instead, they have an air of hesitation at best right now. They know there's something in there. They know there's something out there. But they don't know when it will choose to make itself known. They've lived with the secret of your secret in the back of their minds for too long not to have it constantly popping in. Fuck, 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 they think. One day it is going to come for us. Speaking truth to power can so easily destroy the very fabric of power. They don't know who it is living inside of, but they know that you carry it. On the day you choose to set it free... It'll tear them to shreds. They can both see it coming, and they cannot see anything at all. Good. Go get them. Let your ten minutes set their world aflame. Go, be joyful, and scorch the earth. Fucking A.
0: Fucking A, man. (laughs) Fucking A. Thank you for
1: that. You
0: got some self-caring for us this week? I actually have two. I have a piece of media to recommend, and I have a uh, personal care moment, which I I realized. The first episode I did, we talked about how myself and my partner are re-engaging with the gym experience, and this week that didn't go very well because there were lots of fucking people in the gym. We, we, have, a, we have a safety margin. Um, and so as a result of that, you know, we're like, okay, how many people are in the gym? And every, I hand on a stack of Bibles, basically every time we've checked this week, uh, whether it be midnight or 8 a.m., there's been 50 people in the gym or more. And after the first couple of days, I was like, are they living there? Is this some <laughs> kind of bro commune? What the hell? Uh, and it's it's been really frustrating because we're at the top of the weight training program we're doing. We're in the last week and we've not been able to go this week at all. And the thing which I learned I learnt as a result of this is adaptability. And, you know, firstly, there's making my peace with the fact that there are obviously going to be weeks where, you know, people are getting a pump on and I just can't go to the gym. And secondly, that there are lots of other options open to us. So it's it's possibly a peculiar, peculiarly British caring into the void moment where instead of going, no, I've got to wait in this queue and then I'm going to get the thing which I, I've waited in this queue for because that is right and fair and that's how the world works for white British people. What I've learned far more this week is, okay, so that's my destination. That route's blocked. Here are the five other ways <laughs> we can go
1: there. Let's just be all right with that. How about you? So my self-caring was that I went to a uh, citywide panel on uh, tourism, which I I thought was going to be sort of like this meeting of all the business leaders in our city, talking about data, talking about uh, how we revitalize people coming out here in the industry. And instead, it wound up being a series of objectively evil CEOs (laughs) taking the stage to uh, applaud the rescinding of any sort of. Uh, laws uh, around COVID, and then to talk about uh, the buying power of various generations in such a way that it acknowledged an economic disparity but didn't acknowledge where it came from, so it was uh, bordering at times on just like avocado toast is why they don't have houses, but we equally got into the buying power of Generation Alpha, which won't start being born for another four years and how they will have less money than we want them to because they'll have too many immigrant parents. And that was about the time me and my whole team stood up and walked out because we were like, I don't know. the I, I don't know if the, the buying power of the unborn or the racism is worse, but both are equally the worst. So I got to watch a bunch of people uh, that could buy me and sell me ten times over. A 100 times over applaud to some of the worst stuff I've ever heard. But the the thesis of what we were supposed to do that day was talk about why people should want to come to our city. And I think that perhaps the best thing I will opt to do is to not go to other cities, but to continue treating my city as if I'm vacationing there. I'm always doing a pretty good job, I feel like, for the first time in my life, as uh, going to new places, finding new things, uh, and and mm-hmm. supporting small businesses and you know, l- little coffee shops or the, the food truck that's off the beaten path, I, I I feel like my dollar is spreading to as many places as it possibly can, even if it is a very small uh, dollar amount. So um, I guess my self-care has been to really focus on uh, maybe I should be the tourist here so no one else has to fucking come around, you know, <laughs> like maybe maybe we don't need to be traveling in that way and maybe we don't need to be traveling at the whims of a room full of muskites uh but like uh yeah people do deserve to have somebody new in their life stop by to support them so that's been my self-care was to have me and my team immediately like leave take an emotional shower and then go up the street to a uh, a family-owned bar and uh, do happy hours so yeah i don't know we we we've life found a
0: way (laughs) that is the exact level of punkish, radical altruism and compassion that that makes you just a deeply wonderful human being? Oh, and, thank you. <laughs> and, and and also, Jesus fucking Christ, these people. Um, I mean, as as an, I can give you an example from from personal experience. There is a piece I've written three times in the last three weeks, and each time we've not run it because it's been too angry.
1: Okay. <laughs> and
0: it is about whether or not in person conventions should run. And each variant on it has basically been a, been some different version of me screaming the word "no" for a thousand characters. <laughs> what you just mentioned put me very and put me in mind of is there's a very large uh, board game and tabletop gaming convention called Origins, and Origins pulled their mask mandate with about two days before vendors had the opportunity to pull out. And when they were asked about this, they literally said, yeah, we want people to be able to make as much money as possible. <laughs> really? You ghouls? Really? At, at least you're being honest. At least you're saying, yeah, yeah the, the accumulation of material wealth is actually more important than long-term physical well-being.
1: The, uh, the one form of ethical consumption under capitalism is to uh, consume the Delta variant or the Omicron variant. That's, that's, <laughs> that's where the ethics lie. <laughs> Which variant would you like, sir? I hate your face. <laughs> uh you you have a sharing into the void for us this week a piece of media oh uh, which by the way my parents are watching uh slow horses uh oh we're, brilliant we're thrilled that you brought it up they're like oh we've found that and i was like how'd you guys find that that's fabulous <laughs> amazing amazing um <laughs> the piece of media i have is a
0: novella called flowers for the sea by zin e rocklin it's set aboard the last ship that left a kingdom that literally sinks And the note I made for it is it is a fairy story made of flotsam, rage, and ica. It's about the woman who may be responsible for the kingdom sinking, the fact she's pregnant, the fact that she may be the only person who can carry a baby to term on this ship, and how the pregnancy that she hates is the only thing keeping her alive because the ship is beginning to fragment into factions. It is the best and worst possible time to read this book oh boy <laughs> for obvious reasons uh, as the novella goes on what rockland begins to explore is bodily autonomy sustained trauma life within sustained trauma uh, and the communities that grow and shatter under that trauma and what happens when someone forgets to write happily ever after at the end of, a, of the fairy tale it is brutal and bloody and thick with meaning and the ending is one of those closed fist moments which only stories like this can deliver so well and like I say, this is, for. Me- I think for some people, this is probably not the time to read it, and I think for a lot of people, this is absolutely the time to read it. Uh, it's called Flowers for the Sea, it's by Zin E. Rocklin, and it's
1: available from Tour now. You have sold me. I will get that now. Fantastic. How about you? Uh, I gotta recommend everyone uh, give a spin to Block Party's new album, Alpha Games. Um, Ooh! Boy, howdy. Um... <laughs> I always adore that they are in my top five bands um, and that like they are basically one of the only bands that you can point to and be like uh, that that is an openly gay black frontman guitarist that leads that indie dance rock band from the UK like that. There's not there's not any others like that. Uh, So like. Uh, the new album is is really incredible because it, it's, ostensibly, it's a Lizzo album. It is a lot of really sassy, hey, I'm coming to tell you why you suck, and I've brought all the receipts, quite literally in, in one song. But, like, it goes beyond this very funny takedown sort of thing, and it does something that, like, it, it, that's sort of the first half of the album, and the second half of the album... Uh, which the first half, uh, the best compliment I can give it is my wife was going to Reddit, which she doesn't do, trying to figure out who these songs were about, because they were definitely celebrity relationships that he'd had. And she was like, I need to know who this guy is. I'm sure Reddit knows already. The second half of it does something that that sort of album doesn't do, uh, which is that it uh, offers up just this outpouring of forgiveness, both to the person that, has done harm, but also to the person that is singing it. It's a second half of the album is about taking responsibility and putting anger aside. Uh, it it actually ends with a, a spoken word track that's just about forgiving somebody from uh, a bad relationship where both sides were terrible and like. I straight up cannot listen to the song. I, I listened oh to it God. twice. And I was like, I, I don't think I can ever listen to that one again. So it's good. It's the last track on the LP. But like, it's it's incredibly powerful moving stuff. And I was like, uh, like I, I really enjoyed the start of it. I was like, oh, this is like some really bitchy, like ex-boyfriend stuff. And I am fully here for it. And then it got very, hey, um, you know, you had a part in this too. You made some choices and uh, you should... Uh, you know, forgive them for the parts of it you can forgive them for. I'm like, no, you're not supposed to do this in your dance rock album. Stop <laughs> making me feel things. Yes. <laughs> you're just supposed to make me want to do more drugs. I don't understand why you've <laughs> gone to this worse, worse place. So, yeah, Block Party's album, Alpha Games, it's it's streaming everywhere and so on and so forth right now. Thank you and your island for sending that my way.
0: Uh, you are absolutely welcome. Also, I'm sorry about literally everything else.
1: <laughs> Why don't you go ahead and take us out on that one?
0: Of course. Um, we really hope you enjoyed the show. Thank you so much for listening. Please, if you can, leave a review and do hit the back catalog because there's some absolute gems back there. There's a, I forget the episode name, but there is a story that Jordan tells about a camel with a corpse tied to it that wandered the desert for decades that has haunted my nightmares in the best of ways and i love the fact that i can't even tell you which episode it's in because you'll never know where it's
1: going to appear it just will that man is actually my agent that's my agent that's why i'm not getting a lot of calls these days um ooh. Uh, Goodbye, folks.
0: Thank you so much for listening. Please follow me on Twitter at Alistair Stewart so we can all survive the hell site together. Brock, where can these fine people find you? At Brock Wilbur. Fantastic. We'll see you next time. And remember, keep your hearts dark and true and your teeth sharp and many. And we will see you next time in the void.
1: Bye, 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 bye.